This is More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is made up of more than your job title. Each week, I'll talk to a guest about how they discovered that for themselves. You'll hear about what they did, what they're doing, and who they are. I'm your host, Rabia. I work in IT, perform stand-up comedy, write, volunteer, and, of course, podcast. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Hey, everyone. So I am trying something new this week and recording on video as well as audio for the intro to the podcast. And this will be posted on YouTube. I don't really know if it's going to be much to watch because it's going to be me looking around, trying not to look at my notes, trying not to look in the camera like a weirdo and just, you know, trying to say the, the beginning part of this thing. But anyway, uh, trying to do video this this year if I can in some parts and uh, I'm excited to try it. Uh, Squadcast has both video and audio capabilities. And though I don't think I can edit video all the time, I'm going to try it for at least the intro. So one thing it tells me is I do need a background of some sort. Uh, and you'll see why if you see it. Those of you who are not watching, you're going to hear the same thing anyway. So this week's guest is JC Hurtado Prater. He's It was fun. Uh, I, had, I had a fun time just listening back and we laughed a lot. We laughed over each other a lot and that's really cool. But we got into serious subjects. So I will have one possible trigger warning is we do talk about um, death by uh, substance overdose and we don't talk about it for very long, but it's something that's there. So if, if that's something that you are in a place where you can listen to, then, then please just, you know, maybe skip this one or listen to the first part of it or something, but not the whole thing. Because I know from my experience that that can be hard at different times. But uh, we talked about it in a way that I really appreciated because I got to talk a little bit about the experience of kind of stepping away after that happens to someone you're close to and, and how you can deal with that. And one thing that was cool about this talk with JC is I had to watch it because I thought he was going to take over the interview a few times because he would ask me what I thought of things. And so I talk a lot more than usual in this interview, but also um, I usually I intentionally I will give my two cents on something, but then step away because the point is to highlight the person's story, not my story. Otherwise I could do a solo episode every week, but in this case, that's how JC, I think we're very similar in how we talk to people and talk with people. And so we liked each other's stories. I would, I would love to talk to him again just personally or something. Cause I think he's a lot of fun and I almost wish um, I would live nearer to him because we just had a good time and I think we could collaborate on some things, but anyway, he works in leadership. He's a professor, but he's works in like leadership and business. And so it was really just great to talk to him about that subject. It's a subject that's very close to my heart. And I like getting all the different perspectives of different people who who do talk leadership. Um, I think I'll just leave it at that. It's it, for me, it was fun. I hope you enjoy it. I really want to get feedback from people on these episodes and what they think and please share and it'll just keep, make it easier for me to keep going with the podcast. If you share with friends and stuff on different episodes that you like, but uh, I hope people enjoy this one and we'll see how this video turns out. I'm a little nervous, but thanks for listening again. My guest this week is J.C. Hurtado Prater. He's a leadership enthusiast and a business professor, and we're going to get into what else he 
does and who he is. So thanks for being here, JC. Robbie, it's so good to be here. You know, seriously, I've been looking forward to this. This is great. Me, me too. So first, let's just go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit to the audience and where I'm talking to you from. You know, it's interesting when you said that in the in the email the other day, I thought it really led to kind of a crisis. Who am I? Right. So, uh, so I, it really did. And I actually processed that a little bit. So I am JC, as you shared. And I, I think if I had to just dispel what I'm passionate about, I, I think I wrote that I'm a leadership enthusiast and I really am. I could talk about this all day. I also teach business for Point Loma, Nazarene University, their school of business, and then Azusa Pacific University, their school of business and management. I do consulting. There's a little firm that I work with here that's based out of La Jolla. I'm trying to build my own company, my own training company. A speaker this morning talked about this idea of focus. And all of this for me centers around this idea of healthy leaders uh, develop healthy organizations. I really believe that. That's a long introduction, but Mm -hmm. I'm just passionate about growing leaders. That's who I am. That's great because I think people assume different things about leadership. Yes. Right. Yes. And that, well, they're a natural leader. They're not. They can't lead. They're a bad manager yes. because they're not a leader, but maybe they're actually a good leader, but bad man, you know, stuff like that. So Absolutely. You know, so the other day on a Monday, I was in a meeting with this group that I'm working with. Centauric is, is the management consulting firm. And I'm surrounded by all these brilliant people, PhDs and all this. And we're talking about organizational development, leadership. And Jeanette, and I, I'm going to get her last name wrong, so I, so I won't try to say it. She said the reason why organizations are so unhealthy are because people at their core, everyone is insecure, right? Mm. And so this idea of leadership, you know, kind of what you're talking about, it's about moving people forward, helping people to help the organization move forward, right? But because you're dealing with people and they're all insecure, we all are, right? I have yeah. my own share of insecurities, right? I've got things that I try to hide and stuff. So because we're all insecure, that's what makes the organization gets messy. So so leadership, it's not like this one, seven, eight, nine, ten steps. It's mm-hmm. different for different people, different organizations, different contexts. So you're exactly right. And then, you know, management, that's a whole different world as well. So It's a much trickier thing than what, you know, a lot of people think leadership and they think it's an easy concept. It's Alexander the Great taking down the wall or whatever. And it's just, it's so much more than that. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it. Yeah, for sure. And and I think I've even noticed with myself, and I've studied a lot about leadership just for personal like interest and out of personal interest. And I'm I'm doing a public leadership credential at Harvard Kennedy right now. So learning from that, you know, a ton. But like one thing they said is keep the problem at the center, not yourself. Oh, and that's so good. Yeah. That's, that's something we talked about. And I want to come back to that real quick where you talked about Harvard because I want to know what you're learning there because that's, that's phenomenal. But to say something, one of the things we talked about the other day, and this is what I think we get wrong with leadership, not wrong, but it's, it's why people like me exist because it's so messy, because people are messy and they're insecure and they're, you know, we're dysfunctional. And I found in every facet, I've been in the nonprofit world, the government space, but now that I'm moving into the for-profit state, it's everywhere because people are messy everywhere, right? But the one thing uh, that we talked about the other day, the most important thing I think for leaders, we have to keep the mission first, right? Mm-hmm. If that comes, I was in a conversation last night with the team and we were trying to make decisions about who to bring on the team. And, and I had to just finally say, okay, what's the mission? Where are we going? Right. And that, yeah. that cleared it up for everyone once they understood that. But let me ask you, what are you learning uh, through Harvard 
about right. leadership because they have such an academic way of looking at it. What's mm-hmm. something that you've you've taken away from that experience? So the program I'm in has two leadership courses, two public policy design and two like empirical analysis. And so I finished the leadership courses and it really had a huge impact on me because the biggest thing I realized was that whole thing about pulling yourself out of it and also assessing and understanding the culture where you're at. A lot of them are talking about NGO type work and stuff, but even in an organization, understanding the norms. So basically Mm -hmm. don't come in and say, well, this is what works for me and this is my background. So that's what you're doing. Yes. Isn't that something that even at Harvard, because that's like, that's the, that's the meat of it. That's what gets Mm -hmm. leaders in trouble all the time, right? They come into organizations, they are trying to change it too quickly, or, you know, they don't know what the cult, most people get fired has nothing to do with their, their hard skills. It's always the soft skills. Mm -hmm. They don't understand the culture. They don't understand the norms they're trying to force. So isn't that something that Harvard business school is even talking about this and working for NGOs that this is something that they're discussing. That that honestly that surprises yeah. me. Well, yeah, because we did case studies about you know people going into like there was this one about Cambodia, and just wow to do with you know understanding even how healthcare works and how family relationships and yes. culturally how things go and stuff like that. Because for us, you know, in the states we have a certain way of doing things and it wouldn't yes. work somewhere else because they don't have the same responsibilities to each other or they have more responsibilities to, to each other. I don't remember the exact use case. I just remember like reading all of it and I going, Oh yeah, that. that resonated. You know what? And it's so true because when you're talking about what you're talking about in America, if I move from California, Arizona, I, I'm not, I, I don't have to relearn an entire new culture. I have to learn the organizational culture, but when you go, you're working for an NGO, I mean, you're talking about you're going into different countries, right? So not only have to learn the organizational culture, you've got to learn mm-hmm. the community culture, the uh, the culture of the country, right? Yeah. And I'm guessing that probably gets people in trouble too. I would, I would think so. Yeah. yeah like they're not going to, they might not be making the impact that they want to make. They're bringing that westernized mindset into other cultures. That's one thing that I appreciate that is happening more. Like like, like I, I, I have a church background. And so mm-hmm. a lot of churches, especially the evangelical churches, they've had this mentality of most of them are white, right? And I'm not trying mm-hmm. to say anything, but it's just a fact. And most of them have this, uh, this mentality of let's go to Mexico or let's go to Cambodia mm-hmm. or let's go to Africa and let's help them be more like us, right? Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, that's so far away from what leadership is, because leadership is, like you said, it's going into organizations and cultures, learning who they are first and helping them figure out how do we help you rise to the next level? It's not about how do we take my mentality, this westernized mentality and go to you Mm -hmm. and figure out how we can turn you into who we are. It's how do you learn the people right where they are? And that's, that's what you have to do as a manager, in an organization as well, especially if you're coming in new, not this idea of changing. And I guess I'm saying all this because uh, leadership is not rocket science, no. but it also is rocket science because everything we're talking yeah. about, it makes sense on paper, but why don't people get it? Why do we have so many bad managers out there, right? Yeah. Why do people like me exist? Because there's yeah. so many people that struggle in this area of leadership and management. Well, there's variances, right? So you can like a rocket scientist. I mean, I won't presume to know a lot about their job, but Me say you yeah. plan for a rocket launch in perfect conditions, perfect atmospheric conditions, but then yes. some freaky thing comes across or maybe the wind, the wind probably at a very low velocity will affect it. Well, it's the same with like a leader going in. Maybe 
I actually started, so I can tell you, so I started at a company as like a director of operations or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the first day I got there, the one guy called in sick, didn't have my laptop ready or anything on my team. One person was on vacations. So that was fine. The other leaders weren't there. It was just like, I walked in and it was clear. No one wanted <laughs> wow. me there. Right. Wow. And so I went in with this intention of, oh, this is how I'm going to do things. Mm-hmm. And I quickly had to assess it and say, nope, that's not how I'm doing things. Wow. I'm going to do things this way now. What but, What made you change? Well, I just, I understood that everyone was excited I was coming and they were ready. Okay. And, and then what I found out was, well, the one guy wanted my job, so he just didn't show up to work that day. You're kidding me. So he was upset because he didn't get it. So his yeah. act of defiance was, I'm just not going to be there. Yeah. And you know what? He was hurt. And so luckily, sure, sure. You know, I just kind of at that point saw that and I had enough understanding. Because this is what we're talking about. Like a dysfunctional, unhealthy leader would have handled that in a really negative way. How how did you handle that with this guy? Because obviously he came back at some point. Right. Yeah. You know, I oddly enough, I had gone through something at two companies before that where I started and my boss started a week after and he had not gotten a chance to talk to me before. He didn't get to choose me or anything. And he treated me really badly. Mm -hmm. And then he had no compassion from where I was coming later when there was, there were problems and he would bring people in and just kind of, well, this guy's doing this now and slowly chip away at my job. And so I realized, first of all, I would never do that. I mean, I've learned more from bad leaders than good sometimes. Yes, we do. Right. Yeah, because it was just like, I'm not going to let someone feel this. So this guy was hurt. That was the thing I got. I wasn't mad just because I thought, yeah, that probably sucks. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? That's a bummer. And I've been in a position where I didn't get a job I wanted. So I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't handle everything well, and I certainly don't. I mean, I have a bit of a temper sometimes and stuff. But Same. Yeah. sometimes if you can just remove yourself from it, like I struggle with that now, I mean, you know, removing myself from it. And I get feedback or get suggestions from people and I take it personally. And then I have to like get rid of that emotion because that wasn't what they were doing. They weren't saying you should have done this two years ago when you weren't even here. They're saying this is something we need. So. Yeah. 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 See how it's the small, like that's it, it, but it's not a small issue, Mm -mm. right? Like on paper that would be like, Oh, like that's not profit and loss. That's not merger and acquisition. That's not, you know, hard skills. But that right there, that instance right there, that could that could make or break an entire team, right? Or a mission. Yeah, for sure. This so, is what leadership's about. It is. I agree. Yeah. And I think one thing I know about you is that you were in the army. I was, yes. And previously I had this guest named B. Kyle, and she was in the army and she talked a lot about leadership too. And she's doing a different uh, career than you are, but she talked a lot about leadership and that was where she learned it was in the army. So can you talk they a little do. bit about the army and what? Absolutely. Yeah. They, I, I will tell you this two ways that I think I've learned probably more than my education that have prepared me for the real world and the marketplace, waiting tables and serving mm-hmm. in the military. Oh, waiting tables, obviously it's customer service. I think everyone should wait tables for two years. Everybody should, because you learn and you never treat a waiter bad ever again. So, so that's that, like, how do you treat people? How do you, you know, customer mm-hmm. service sales, all that. But the army, I will tell you, um, 
man, there's so many things that I could say about the military. Coming back to what we talked about earlier, it's it's mission focus, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think of anything, this is an organization where your feelings don't matter. It was hard for me coming out of the military after four years and walking into an organization where people were like, I need to take a mental health day. Like that was hard because yeah. I did, it's like, what the, like, what are you talking about? Mental, what is that? What's a mental health day in the military? And obviously the military is not forever and they have to run that way because it's about combat at, at, yeah. at the heart of it's about combat, but they were so mission focused. And if you couldn't get the mission done, that's just throw you right out of the way and mm-hmm. they're going to find the right person, right team, whatever. But I think, and I've had to learn to come back from that you know, a little bit, because again, the corporate world, the real world, the nonprofit world, especially does not work that way at all. Mm-hmm. It's very much feelings and people and you got to sit and listen. And that's all part of this, this, you know, you know, this leadership. But I think the most important thing that I learned in the military is that the mission always comes first. It's always about that. Right. And for them in the military, that's what it's about. I don't care what your feelings are. If we get ready to take that hill and I have to worry about how you're feeling about this. And then the other guys come across the hill and they end up, you know, bombing the crap out of us or whatever. It's not going to, you know, like your feelings don't matter. It's about getting Mm -hmm. the mission done. So I think I learned that, but I also learned the military is big on if you're in a position of leadership, the only way you get the mission done is you have to take care of your people. So at the heart of it, and I remember they would train uh, up and coming leaders and sergeants and, you know, you know, team leaders that when your people are, and I was never in battle, I never went to war, but we did a lot of training, like field training exercises. So you would simulate this act of war. So when mm-hmm. people are training, the team leader is running back and forth behind, right? You know, do you have your weapons? Do you have your ammo? Do you have the food that you need? Do you, so they're constantly worried about how do I take care of my people so they can do the mission? So I think that's another great, uh, you know, leadership trait I learned as well is that leadership is not actually doing the job. It's making sure that the people who are doing the job are resourced to do the job. So, I mean, I could give so many lessons there. The military is, it's, it's leadership intensive and it probably is the greatest place where I've been that you just see it all around you. It's so ingrained in the culture and what we're trying to do. Yeah. What they're trying to do. Yeah. And that, that's very similar to what she was saying. Like there was this book leaders eat last or something. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I have, and then you come into corporate America or nonprofit. And I remember one of the first places I went and I saw the, this, the CEO or the executive director, it was like a lunch and they were first in line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what the? I, that doesn't register. Even to this day, I, I could never, ever. And it's not because I'm better than anyone else or anything like that. But when I see a leader who's first in line or, or okay, here's a key lesson for your listeners. I hope they get this. This is one of the greatest lessons I've learned. I think I learned this from a book. Leaders should never be the first to speak in a meeting. They should eat last and they should speak last. So you come into a meeting and you sit down and you have this big vision. You have this idea about where the organization needs to go and what what do most of the leaders do? So here's the thing. Here's what we need to do. We need to, you know, uh, you know, we need more creativity, more innovation, whatever it is. And so here's what I think we need to do. What do you all think? And what does everyone around the table do? Because they want to get along with the leader. They go around. Yes, yeah. I say, yeah, yes, boss. Yes. And there's one contrarian. No one likes that person. So they get shut down <laughs> as opposed to the leader saying, OK, here's the end goal. Here's what we need to get to. And maybe he or she has a clear uh, idea in their head, but they say, hey, team, I've hired all of you. I trust all of you. What do you all think? How do we reach this? And then when everyone else is spoke, I'm, I'm going to write a book about that. Yeah. So you just gave me the idea. Leaders eat last, but I'm going to write one called leaders speak last. 
Yeah, you do it. Give me this idea. And that that's one thing that I've had to learn how to do because because you and I are talkers, right? So yeah. I can talk anyone under the table. But I've had to learn when I go into meetings, shut your trap, man. I'm talking to myself, mm-hmm. right? Shut your mouth and put out the mission or vision and let everybody else talk because I will tell you this. You can pay people all the money you want. You can give them all the little rewards you want. People want to be listened to. They want their ideas to be valued. And I've learned this in life. And and this is what gets most leaders in trouble and why people are constantly leaving, managers especially, because they're not listening to their people. They're not valuing what they have to say. So yes, leaders eat last and leaders speak last, in my opinion. Uh, I really like that. I really like that. And I I like that. I'm going to have to give you credit. Like We'll have to go half and half on this book. That's going to be a great book. I've always wanted to write a book. So let's talk about books, actually. So we're just going to bounce around, but then we'll get to, you know, get to where we're going on this podcast, too. But you are an author. So can you talk a little bit about, I mean, I don't think every conversation you have, you just go, I'm going to write a book. And then you write that book like we just had right now. But how did you come to decide that one way you were going to express your ideas and do this was via books? That's really good. And I want to tell you that all of my books are crap. So I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> so I don't recommend any of your listeners. If someone's listening right now. Don't go buy them. So, and, and I'm still forming. I, I now I'm much more focused on kind of where I'm going. But I, I will tell you this. Here's what I found. And, and even the books I've written, all four of them have been written for me, really. Right. They're mm-hmm. things that I've wanted to get to know and I wanted to do better. And I'm actually going to write one more. I, I, I think it's okay to share this with you. I am, I've done the last almost eight years I've been, I, I've been in therapy and it's been the mm-hmm. most, I have grown as a person and I've grown as a leader. More people, more leaders need to find themselves on the therapist couch and you're shaking your head. So obviously like you yeah. understand this as well, right? Like, Oh, absolutely. absolutely. That's what hinders most organizations is the personal issues of the leader, right? Yeah. So, so right now I'm, 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 I'm trying to, to dispel eight years of wisdom from my therapist. Her name is Jeannie, and I don't know where I'd be without her. So I'm looking at, so we meet, we used to meet every Thursday. Now we meet mm-hmm. Fridays. That's, that's who I was meeting before I came oh, on with cool. you. And so I'm thinking about calling it Thursdays with Jeannie, seven life and leadership lessons from the therapist counselor or something like that. And mm-hmm. everything that she's taught me. So you talk about this idea of books, why I write them. And I know everyone has a different reason. I, I like to touch and feel and be in the room with people or have meetings more, but books help me process out my thoughts, mm. right? So when I'm trying to figure out how do you figure out a person's purpose or how do you figure out great character, the best way for me is, well, just write a book and then I'm going to have to study it and study it and study it and I'm yeah. going to have to put it on. Now, going forward, again, I'm going to write this last kind of personal development book and then my company, Cannonball, I've got a lot of material that next year and just for the next 40 years of my life, I'll be writing a ton in terms of culture and leadership and how do you mm-hmm. have an all-in culture? How do you have an all-in team and all-in life, right? So that's where I'm going to go with it. But I've got one more book in me that I want to write that's more personal development. And it's it's from the lessons I've learned from 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 uh, Jeannie. And I will tell you, it's it's if it weren't for her, my own leadership, my own teaching, how I approach, you know, the students that I, I'm able to teach, none of that would be I think where it is today, and I have a lot of growth, you know, for sure, mm-hmm. but none of that would, would be where it is today if it weren't for the work that I've done with her for eight years. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely relate with that. Cause even what I said, like people just giving me certain, like me processing things, I'll talk to my therapist about it. So my therapist, I mean, she knows like, there's going to be like a work week, there's going to yes. be <laughs> a personal yeah. week, you know, whatever. But it's, it's important because I think when I see 
how I'm treating other people and I don't feel good about it. Yes. Then I'm the one who needs to change. They don't, because I want them to keep coming to me. I want them to keep talking to me. So I have to do something so that it's safe for them to do that. Absolutely. That's how I feel. No, it's great. And I remember even in one of the classes I was teaching this past summer, we had this guy. So I teach graduates and undergraduates. And and, and the undergrads are all great because they all think you're amazing because they're mm-hmm. undergrads. Yeah, and they yeah, don't yeah. Know any better. <laughs> the graduates know better, right? And some of the graduates that I teach are actually 10 years older than I am. And we had one, he was retired military. I hope he doesn't listen to this. He'll probably know what I'm talking about. But he's a great student, right? Incredible mm-hmm. student. But he would just he was devil's advocate on everything and would dominate the conversation on everything. Yeah. But, and so I remember one, we, we, our conversation and I, and I like to teach kind of like how you were doing, you know, right now, where if someone has a point that they want to talk about, we go there. Right. Mm-hmm. And my job is to always get us back to where we need to get to, but I'll yeah. like, we'll go on tangents, whatever's best for the students. So we were going off and he made this comedy said, uh, excuse me, we're actually supposed to be talking about this. And he was right. We needed to get back, you know, on focus. And then he said a couple other things. And I remember getting, I was pissed, to be honest with you. I, I was really yeah. upset because like, that guy was hijacking my class. But then two or three days later, I bring that up in therapy because I was, I was so upset about it. And my therapist says, hey, you know what? Knock it off. Like you've got a strong-willed person in your classroom who's got a lot of experience, has something they want to share. It's not him that needs to change. You, you need to change your mm-hmm. mindset. And how do you begin to empower him? And how do you? And I'll tell you, he became one of my favorite students because I learned to change my own mindset around him as opposed to getting insecure about the fact that he had a lot to say and could hijack the class. Now it was, how do I empower him? And how do I almost get on his side, right? Because the class yeah. kind of followed him. And, and uh, so it, it goes back to what you're saying. It's, it's if I take that personal, I'm going to be... Uh, Last thing, I was watching this 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 video yesterday, uh, came up in my feed, and there was this professor in a class, and this is a huge class, and someone yawns really loud in the class. I, I, wish, I, I wish we could show this video. <laughs> they give this loud, yaw, whatever, and the professor stops and for two minutes yells at the entire class because someone yawned, and he was going off, you tell me who did it right now, who is it, and I'll keep you all here till you all tell me, and finally someone lied and said it was someone outside, yeah. but this is what I'm talking about, this is, and all the comments you can imagine were amazing oh on yeah. that video, they were like, yeah. who hurt this man, and all these yeah. things, but you're talking about a really insecure professor who someone sure. yawns in class, and you're going to get upset about that, people yawn, right, that, that's a natural part of life. And so, you know, I think we have to be healthy. We've got to take care of that, those mental health aspects of who we are, or we're going to be like that jacked up professor yelling at a bunch of people for something that doesn't matter at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's so, that's so wild. So looking at you spend time in the army and then you got out and you went into like nonprofit space and those kind of things, the other industries, and now you're in for profit Plus you went into being a pastor at some point. Yes, so yeah. all those things. So I guess what I'm curious about is really, first of all, cause I mean, this podcast love is about not defining yourself by your job title, but how, wow. how did you navigate what you wanted to do and switching out of the army and then navigate what you wanted to do next and kind of, you know, get to where you are. In, such a great question. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. I'll tell you, I'm still on this journey, right? I'm mm-hmm. still on the journey. I think I'm more focused today than ever, but it's taken me years. I probably got distracted a lot. You know, it's going to sound like a humble brag, but it's not. But when you're, but when you can do many things, mm-hmm. you try to do many things. And the yeah. problem is you don't get focused in on one or two things that I could be really great at. And I would say this, I, I went into nonprofit and church ministry because that's all I'd known. Like growing up, 
probably the church saved me in a lot of ways, right? Mm. Family. And that's a whole nother issue. You know, that's a whole nother conversation. But I think I just had this fondness for the church world because it really was my foundation growing up and really it, it, it did save me in a lot of ways. And so I think I found that after I got out of the military, but I always knew the first book that I read when I was a kid, I think I was 12 or 13 in Lee Iacocca, who used to be the mm. CEO and chairman of Chrysler. And he was a big celebrity back in the eighties. And I read his book at like 12 and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. I was so passionate about it. And, but then fear got in the way. I knew what was normal. I think I was scared of the marketplace. And so for many years, I, I just kind of, you know, I did the nonprofit space, the church world, which I got to be honest with you was actually amazing because I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to learn how to lead people, go lead a bunch of volunteers in a church who could tell you to shove it anytime they want to. And they will, right. They love, yeah. you're on my pay, you know, you're on our payroll. Right? You know, we pay your salary. You want to learn how to lead people that that's probably been the greatest foundation to lead as a bunch mm-hmm. of volunteers who could walk at any time. Right. So I did that for, for many years and it's been an amazing, I, I got to work in small churches. I spent four years in a mega church where they had a $20 million a year budget and the, the senior you know pastor who's still there, he's been there 40 years now. He has his own ministry, I guess you call it a nonprofit that, that averages about 75 million a year. So this is wow. a guy who's very driven. He's influential. He speaks and, and talks and he influences a lot of people. So working for him was really great because I got to see what it means to be disciplined. He writes one or two books a year and I got to see what that looks like, what that takes to do that. And so I, I say I had a great time, but through all of this, I knew that I had this passion to get in the marketplace and to work with marketplace leaders. Because again, going back to this idea, people are dysfunctional and insecure in every walk of life. So how do I get into the marketplace and, and help and add value? And and that's that's the next 40, year, uh, 40 years of my life are going to be teaching future business leaders and helping marketplace leaders. That's all my life's going to be about. Thanks for walking me through that because that's good to see just kind of how you transitioned into it. Cause I was kind of the opposite last year where I was thinking about, Oh, I should go into nonprofit because I really want to serve. And yeah, I feel like okay. that's a core value of mine is service. Yes. But then I realized part of service will be having something to give. Yes. So I need to stay in my corporate <laughs> roles. I have more to give. You know? Yes. Yes. I mean, a lot of, that's such a great point. And there's so many, I sit on nonprofit boards, so I have to be careful what I say here, but you make a really good point. A lot of people think, let me just get in the nonprofit space and then I can serve, but they don't realize it's kind of the same because mm-hmm. it becomes a job then, right? Like I'm, I'm helping teens. No, it's, you're there eight to five every day and it becomes a job. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, doing it and you're not even making as much money. Now there's some people who are really gifted to do that and they need to do that, right? It's good. Yeah. But one of the things I found, and so Sitting on nonprofit boards, you know who has the most influence in the room? It's the person with the most money, right? right? The person with the most power or the person with the most money. And this is where I decided, I remember sitting in a room and I said, how can I be more influential in here? It, it, it all comes back to dollars and cents. The CEO, yes, you can come volunteer for a day and help a kid or two, but that's, that doesn't, that's not going to move the nonprofit forward. What does it is marketplace acceptance, marketplace success. Yeah. And then you're able to hand a check of $25,000 to a nonprofit or 5,000 or 10 or, you know, help, help them generate more funds or bring more attention, you know, to them. That's what actually makes a greater difference. And there will be people who would disagree with me so much. I know they will, but I'm telling you, I've been in the nonprofit space enough. I've sat in the boardrooms. If you want to make the greatest difference in the nonprofit world, make that money. You know what I'm saying? And then, <laughs> and, and then add value to other people, right? Right. 
So yeah. I think you're smart to stay where you are and then just donate, you know? Yeah. And that was through conversations with a couple leaders and a few people and just realizing. And, that's and what, what, did, they well, what did they say? Well, one of them that was the most influential on me. So she's the CEO of IC Stars and founder, uh, co-founder. Wow. Okay. And wow. they're an awesome organization and her name's Sandy Castro. So anyone can hear that episode, but she helped me realize a couple of things. Cause I was thinking about going to grad school, doing all this stuff. That's how I ended up in the Harvard program. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I did all this assessment. I wrote a blog about it. I'm like, kind of like you, I, I was thinking it through and I put it down and I thought, well, here, someone else might like this too. Right. But anyway, what Sandy explained to me was a couple of things. One, I do have gifts to give now. I don't mm-hmm. have to get a hundred thousand dollar degree or over in the UK it'd be 20 K and you know, just get to know a nonprofit. If you think that's where you want to work, go volunteer and you'll find out yes. more about the organization yes. than you will otherwise. But then she also encouraged me, like if I want to, if I do want education, find where. And so she encouraged me with the program I'm in. Cause I think it'll make me a stronger absolutely nonprofit board yes. member. And another friend told me, Rabia, you need to make sure you can take care of yourself. And part of that is continue to earn your income. And she said, you can serve on a board and probably yes. bring more to the table than you would if you're in their office. And so those are the two. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think, and that's all great advice. You're right. I think people think, let me quit my job and go make, you know, 13 bucks an hour. And here in the United States, that's not, it sounds like a lot for maybe some parts of our country, but in, in a lot of, I mean, you've been in the States, so you know, like 13 bucks an hour is not going to make <laughs> yeah. you much. At I all. lived in, I went to UC San Diego. Okay. So you've lived here in San Diego. So you understand yeah. 13 bucks an hour is nothing right back <laughs> yeah. in Indiana where I'm from. That's uh, something decent, but it's still not going to get you anywhere. No. But you, you, you know, again, there's some people who are designed to do that and they're, they're like, they need to be in the nonprofit space. That's, it's a great mm-hmm. job for them. It fits they're kind of the rescuers. They need a little drama in their life. Right. And every day they get to be rescuing people on an actual basis. Other people though, I think like what you're saying, you could serve on a board and you're exactly right. There's so much more influence that you can be for the, you know, for the organization and more money that you can bring into the organization Mm -hmm. in those positions of influence. You know, both are important. Right. And I don't want to knock the person who's down on the ground, but I, I so agree with that advice that you got. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You just have to do, to me is I think all of us are capable of giving in some way and not everyone's capable of being on a board either. Right. Or that's right, not what exactly. their interest is, but, and, and then some people are volunteers. I mean, I'm like yeah. a lifelong volunteer and that's so important. So yeah, it's that just, is. everyone's kind of in the position that best serves them and they can serve others in it. Yes. Yeah. I, I think the, the mentality, and this has taken me honestly, probably too long to learn. You know, this has been my own journey through leadership and I'm so glad because I found it. I found this path and this is why I'm so passionate about it in 2011. So I've been on this for 10 years now. I was such a bad leader and I was mm-hmm. running a team. It was actually in a church and my goal was to build this thing. And, you know, I was leading a music program and I wanted to build it and become large and one of the largest in the nation. And, <clears throat> and it just wouldn't grow. And it was through a series. I, I actually went through a, a broken engagement. So this is in the span of three months, a broken engagement. I got pulled over on the eight in San Diego here because my car, my registration was expired. And I'd been pulled over two weeks before. And the guy said, okay, you need to get this done. But I, lack of leadership, lack of self-leadership. I was like, I'll take mm-hmm. care of it whenever. Got pulled over again two weeks later and they, they impounded my car. I'm walking home uh, from the eight to Mission Valley where I lived mm-hmm. by myself because I, I, I tried to call people. No one could. So it was those two things. 
And then there was something else. I forget. And this team I was trying to grill just it just kept decreasing. And I found myself in a situation where I was in the UCLA library and I found a book by Warren Bennis. So you asked me why I want to write books. Yeah. This guy right here drastically transformed my life. Warren Bennis on becoming a leader. And I tell all my students, start here, right? John Maxwell mm-hmm. has some books too. And he's, you know, John Maxwell is kind of low hanging fruit. It's not academic at all, but he talks about how, you know, law of the lid and some of that stuff. But this book on becoming a leader by Dr. Warren Bennis was the most pivotal because he talked about, going back to what we were saying, he talked about this idea. It's It starts with you first, right? It starts with mm-hmm. me first, right? If I can't take care of myself, if I can't leave myself, if I can't pay my registration tags and make sure that my car is registered, if I can't keep a relationship, if I yeah. can't have a team that's growing, a small team of 15 people that I'm trying to get to 100, but if they, then I'm in no place to be a leader. And so I was able to rework. I spent a whole summer diving in all these books about leadership and rework. And it changed my mindset and my brain about how I approached it. And what I understand now is that leadership is so much more about other people and adding value to other people than it is about how do I, you know, how, how do I push my own agenda? And every single time I've tried to push my own agenda, it never works. But anytime mm-hmm. I, I make it about the people and I could tell you story after story, when I finally got this idea of empowerment, how do you lift up people? How do you help them become their fullest and highest potential and reach where, where they're supposed to reach in life? It was amazing. This group that I was leading this choir and music program, we tripled in size in four months. And I'd been with them two years and we just kept decreasing three months after reading these books tripled in size because I began to get what leadership was about. So I think at the core of it, it's really important that we take care of other people. We got to take care of ourselves first though. It starts here and then it goes out. I don't know how I got off on that, but that's how I originally found this idea of leadership development. And this is why I want to write because that book was so impactful for me Mm -hmm. and how I approach people and how I approach the world that I'm hoping that my life will impact people in the same way going forward. I, yeah, and I, I read Synchronicity by Jaworski, I think. Did you ever read that book? I've heard that book before. I'm going to write that down. Syn- Synchronicity. Yeah, and that one had a big impact on me, but it was a little bit different than that. But it, basically, the whole idea was servant leadership, right? That's the, yes. That's the thing. So when you look at the work you're doing, it's you know, you've diversified yourself a little bit into different areas, right. and one of them is teaching. So Two things. What has what made you want to go into that, into teaching, and how does that kind of counterbalance with what with the other stuff you're doing? Like, meaning, does it help you kind of balance otherwise, or or how's it working together? Yes. And okay, so let me just answer that first question about the counterbalance first, and say yes. And matter of fact, I'm lucky enough to be in a world where they actually say. If you're going to teach, consult as well. It makes you a better mm-hmm. teacher to because you're in the marketplace. You have one foot in the marketplace and you're helping uh, add value. And really what I get to do is go into, in, into companies and you're teaching, right? You're training these brilliant, badass yeah. people. Yeah. And then I've got one foot over here with students that are incredible and they're future leaders. So it, it's really good. So that's there. And in the original question you asked, you said, what, what, what got me into teaching? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a really good story. I was at, I'll make it short. I was at Riverside Community College in, in Riverside. I was at the Norco campus. And at the time, I was, I was, I was going to finish up my degree and I was going to go to Cal State Northridge and get my bachelor's degree in restaurant management, something like that, like business. And just mm-hmm. I was going to work in restaurants my entire life. And to this day, I'm passionate about restaurant work. That is a phenomenal industry. But then at the end of class, we had about 60 people in this class. Dr. Stephanie Kiriakis, she still teaches there. It was a history class. 
pulls me aside out of everyone. I, and I don't know why she did it, but she pulled me aside. She said, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? It was a weird question. I said, I'm just finishing this up and I'm going to go to Cal State Northridge, get my degree. And then I'm going to go work in restaurants. She said, no, 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 no. I see more for your life. You're, you're going to go to UCLA and you're going to be a lawyer or a professor. And I still like I, I still get kind of emotional thinking about that because she those words were I'd never I was a joker in school. Um, I messed up mainly through high school. I got kicked out my senior year of high school. Mm. I got kicked out of other. That's why I landed in community college. I got kicked out of like two other colleges. One I couldn't afford to pay. The other I failed at. And then there was another community college. I fell out of that. And then they have this 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 professor say, no, I see more for you. You're going to be a professor. I will tell you that probably impacted. But then honestly, growing up, I grew up in a family of educators. All of my heroes were educators. They all had doctorates. And so I think even as a kid, I was adopted into this white family. And so I had all these Mm. educators and it was, and they all had doctorates. And so I think even as a kid, I thought I want to get a doctorate, but I never had a path to Dr. Stephanie Kiriakis said, here's what you're going to do. And it's pretty much been true what she said. That's a whole nother uh, lesson. Words matter, right? I tell people that all yeah. the time. Words matter. What we speak to other people, what what we hear from other people, it really matters to where we go. But I credit her for me really believing, okay, maybe I actually could teach because I knew I wanted to for many years. Even as a kid, I wanted to be in business and teach, but I thought I, I could never do it. Her words deeply impacted my life, and and I think they're why I'm I'm on the path I am today. I'm grateful for. Well, and the fact that you were able to accept them, because I think mm, it's hard sometimes really to good. hear that kind of feedback that's positive yeah. when you haven't felt that way, and to accept it and that then to is, act with it. Can I say something personal right now? Yeah, you know this is you know this is interesting. You bring it up. That's so good. What you just said. This past Sunday, I got a call, and today, actually, it's going on right now. I got a call. My high school best friend, I mean, we were just thick as thieves. He's, I'm 42. He's 42. Last Saturday, he overdosed with his wife, and he's gone, right? And, and I've been processing that whole thing this week, and like, how am I doing what I'm doing and going forward, and mm-hmm. how is he? On, on the very night, actually, one of the boards that I sit on, last Saturday, I'm dancing you know, the night away with all, all these people. And the, the very same time he's, he's overdosing and he's ending his life. And, and we both kind of came from the same area. We had the same opportunities, you know, both of us came from lower income and that's, but I think, and I thought about this with my friend, he couldn't hear the words because everyone mm-hmm. told him how much potential he had and how great he could be and where he could go in life. That is so deep, Rabia, that it's one thing for someone to say it, but we have to be able to hear it. And I don't know mm-hmm. why. Maybe, and, and I don't blame, you know, I'm not putting blame on him or it's anything. It's yeah. sad he went through that, but I'm grateful that I was able to hear those words because I was yeah. on the same path that he was years ago, right? I probably should be right where he is right now. But a professor turned it around, but not only did she say it, because how many students has she probably said that to in her life, right? And how many others are maybe doing something different or it's not the mm-hmm. same. So I'm grateful that there was something up there. And I, I don't know what it was. You're right. That was able to hear those words and say, I'm going to internalize that because I was on a bus within two weeks and I think there was a group. I went to UCLA, stood on there and I thought I'll never make it in. Like they're the top public university in the world now. Yeah. And I remember standing there. I'll never make it in. But I said, I'm going for it. And so I said no to Cal State Northridge, said, I'm just going to go for it. And I made it in. Right. But her words, mm-hmm. what she said, and I was able to hear it, That's deep. That's really, really deep. And I think speaking of leadership, we can say whatever we want to someone, but if they can't hear it and they can't receive it, it's not going to make a difference. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And I spent years not hearing it or not being able to accept it. Same. Yes. I'm right there with you. 
Yeah, and I am sorry about your friend, too. I'm the same age as you. I lost my brother to an overdose like 10 years or 12 years ago. And I know exactly that feeling of almost, yeah, and I'm still here. Do you, is it, do you, because this is my second buddy I've lost in a tragic way. The other one was killed Mm. in a murder suicide. So do you ever have a sense of, and I I don't mean to get personal, but do you ever have a sense of survivor's guilt? I have. Yeah. And so why am I still here? And and that's your brother too. Mine were just friends, but that's your brother. But it's still, I don't know. I, I try to with loss because I've had different losses and, and I don't mind talking about it. I mean, it's just, it's part of my life and people can you know, know about it, but it's just, I think a couple things. One is for me, I just find a way to honor that person. And so I volunteer one thing, one reason I'm in so much with nonprofit, I volunteer for Shatterproof, which is an organization that works in the opioid and alcohol addiction space because that's where I'm able to show my love to my brother Mm -hmm. and you know, to help others. So they're not going through that. Cause I do think it's an important issue. And yeah, I mean, I did, I spent, I spent a couple years. I didn't write. I started comedy so late because I didn't want to give, I didn't want to let myself do those things that I would enjoy because yes. how, how could I? Yeah. And I think the sooner people can get out of that and realize yes. that they are still here. So the mm-hmm. best thing they can do is continue to live and find a way to honor the, the loss of the person Mm-hmm. the better it is. So yes, I feel yeah. it. And right. yes, yeah. I think we people, walk that way. Yes. How many people need to hear that? Cause I know people who've gone through and, and I never, I, I haven't lost anyone like a brother or sister like that. Right. I've lost close friends in those ways, mm-hmm. but I know some people who've gone through some really tragic things and it's, it's hard for them to keep moving on. You know, I mean, that's a really important thing that you're saying is that if I'm still here, I might as well make the most of it. But I know it's easier for me to say where I'm sitting than it is maybe for that person to hear it, right? It sounds like you yeah. – how were you able to do that? What did, Was there something that you internalized that, you know – Therapy, honestly. Ah, that's so – yes. I mean, <laughs> you know. You, and, Robbie, I was going to say this. Yeah. And maybe I shouldn't say this on the podcast. You should never invite yourself back. At some point, we need to come back, and I want to talk about – mental health therapy and leadership, right? How that all meshes together. If like, like we should talk about that at some point, because I think everything you just said, you're right. That's the game changing. That's the, that, and I tell people all the time, you know, they say only 11% of the population goes to therapy. That's actually remarkable because so many people talk about it in a way. It is. And that's what I thought too. But this was uh, this was like a government study I I was reading. Mm -hmm. It was like 11%, at least that's the numbers they have. It might be more than that, but it's 11%. But I've told people, even the church where I work at, and and I tell people all the time, you know, yes, you can have religion, you can find faith in God and all that stuff. That's great. But some of y'all just need to get some therapy, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you need to get on the therapist's couch. You need to work that out, right? Because it's like, obviously, you've had religion for 20 years and it's done nothing. You're still jacked up. Get yourself in with the therapist, right? Mm -hmm. That's a game changer. It's such a game changer. It's the... If you can't show compassion to yourself, it's yes. going to be very hard for you to give it anywhere else. I mean, Absolutely. That's it, you know? Yeah, you can't show up to the world in the way that you want to. That's something I'm trying to figure out right now. You talk about kind of where I'm going. I'm trying to figure out how to – because mental health is such a scary word for people, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's really – so. and I was actually talking to my friend. I think I sent you her name, Caitlin Stone. Yeah. That's someone – she's phenomenal. She's someone – but we're talking about trying to build conferences. Our first one, we're looking at February – or uh, spring of 2023 – 
how do we mesh this idea of leadership and mental health? But we can't say mental health. So we're trying to find like a buzzword for that. But I really do believe that the entire world would elevate as more people begin to understand that this right here, what goes on between our heads, it affects more than what we understand. Right. And I think therapy, it's it like, like we need to find another like Facebook just changed their name to Meta. Right. <laughs> we need to find another word for therapy. I don't know what it is. That's our yeah. job, Rabia. We're going to find another I word mean, for therapy. Meta. Um, I don't know. So meta. It's you so know. Meta. Complaining about Facebook on Facebook. So meta. I don't know. I don't. I can't with that. It's so good. I can't with that. It's so ridiculous. How often do we see you're so right? People complain. That's probably. I got to go to your show sometime. Yeah, that's brilliant. It's just ridiculous. But so one thing I want to talk to you about too is your podcast. So you're on my podcast, but I've listened to yours. Specifically, I I listened to quite a few where you talked about character and people, anybody yeah. being able to change their character. Mm-hmm. So I guess I want you to talk a little bit about that because I found that really interesting. But also, just if you want to talk about your podcast a little bit, so people know what it's what it's about. Sure, and I would say I'm still building my podcast. I mm-hmm. I really want to co-host, and so I'm trying to like I love this right here, this whole dialogue piece, and mine's pretty solo. Like you do interviews, right? And Mostly, I, yeah. I so you have solo podcast as well. I've done a few. Yeah. You've done a few. Okay. I'm going to go because I've listened to some of yours as well, which are phenomenal and keep going. Right. Like it's, I love the title. Like that's so, that's so deep. So I'm still building mine. What I wanted to do, as I said, I, I've, cause I've been trying to do this for two or three years and I find, I just said, get the mic and just get started. And so this year it's all been about, do I have the consistency? Cause you know, this is not easy. I mean, how many times do you have to chase me down, right? Like to get me here. I'm sure you're doing this all the time. Like you're chasing your guests down and trying to figure it out because you're interviewing, you know, busy people. So I said, I need to get going and I want to do a hundred episodes on my own just to know that I can do it, know that I have the the consistency to Mm -hmm. do that. So that's what I'm doing next year though. And I'll, I think I'll reach a hundred by the end of this year. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I've got a a couple, a couple people I'm looking at. I really want to do a, a conversation podcast where we talk mm-hmm. about life and leadership and character and find books that we can talk about together. But it, it comes down to, you asked about this idea about character. Um, and the reason why I'm talking about this kind of stuff is because again, it goes back to, I really think at the heart of every leader, it's who we are as a person. And if we, if we're jacked up on the inside, organization's going to be jacked up. The team's going to be jacked up, but you said something about character. You said you wanted to talk about. Just the idea that anyone can change their character. Cause I think, what I hear a lot of people say, and I'll say I've said is, well, that's just their character. Not yes. thinking that it's something that maybe someone could change. And sometimes I look at my character too and think, well, that's just who I am now. And you talked about people could change. But there's some truth to that though. And I think uh, uh, this is what, uh, and maybe this is why I kind of broached it in, 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 in that episode. Most people, including myself think, okay, that's just a character trait. And how many times do we say that, you know, all oh, that mm-hmm. I'm not into the details. I'm not good at that. I'm not right. Mm-hmm. We just, that's just who I am. And what this book, it's called the laws of human nature by Robert Greene. And I'm just kind of walking. It's such a phenomenal book. But it, it talks about people can change their character. And I wish I actually have. It's right here. It's right here. I, I'm getting ready to sign on, do my own podcast. But he does talk about people can change their character, but it takes an incredible amount of work. And it starts with self-awareness. It starts mm-hmm. under, you know, with understanding who, who you are. But and this is the problem with leadership. This is the problem with managers. 
most people don't have that self-awareness, right? Yeah. They, they walk in a room and they have this view of who they are. And I will tell you, one of the things that I have tried to practice in my own life and in my own leadership is this idea of radical truth, radical transparency. And Ray Dalio talks about this, where he has a culture that he's built with uh, Bridgewater and Associates, and they manage like $160 billion in assets, whatever, they're huge. And he said that we grew that way because we have radical truth, radical transparency. So anyone at any time can say whatever they want to say. They actually have meetings, Rabia, where they have their iPads out. And as the person's talking, the people are giving them feedback right there. And everyone's got the iPad. And I'm like, I could be talking to you and you could wow. be typing right now. This makes no sense. You're getting lost in the woods. And I'm watching this and I'm having to change up what I'm saying based on your instant feedback. That's how they run. Huh. Wow. A lot of people leave, but we instituted that on one of the teams that I lead. And so I'll ask questions in front of the whole team. What do I need to get better at? And these people answer, right? Like, like they tell me in front of everyone. And I've learned over the last few years, I've lacked self-awareness. I talk too much. I, right. So I think that's the first step is people have to be honest with themselves and they have to be, and they've got to allow people around them to be honest, right? This is, I think, one of the key. This is going to be my swan song. And I'm going to change the name because Ray Dalio already got the radical truth, radical transparency. I'm going to find another way to say it, though, because this is what I think will drastically transform everything. Can we just be honest and authentic? And if everyone in the room can hear what other people are thinking about them, maybe it will help them transform. If leaders could hear, what do your people really think about you? Right. Because I think a lot of leaders have this mindset that they all love me. They're laughing at my jokes when I walk in. <laughs> hey, boss. And these people are just sucking up, man. They could hate you and be talking about you the next. So I think this idea of creating this culture of radical truth, radical transparency, that's how the character of a person changes. And I think that's how mm-hmm. the character of a team can change in an organization as well. But it starts with being honest. That's probably a much longer answer than you were asking. But no, that's fine. I mean, and I agree because I think I've been afraid of feedback sometimes, you know, we just are. because I am very self-critical and self-aware and people Same. won't necessarily see me as bad badly as I see myself, but they'll still see something, you know? Yeah, right. And so, right. yeah. Yeah. You know? So character can change, but I think we've got to be open and honest with ourselves and allow other people to be open and honest with us as well. Totally. So we've talked a lot and you've shared like really important advice and stuff, but is there any like advice or mantra that you want to share? Like maybe there's something that you just kind of like to impart Character. The, the only thing coming to my mind is character is destiny. Again, I know that's not a high level leadership thing, but who we are on the inside is going to greatly impact our children, our families. And I've seen this negatively in my own life, right? This is why I'm doing so much work on my own self. It's, and it will impact our teams, our bottom lines, creativity, innovation, the organizations. It's just, there's too many studies out there that show, but people don't really talk about this a lot, but character, who we are as a, as people, it impacts the work we do in the world and the people we lead in the world. And so I just think it's so important. This is why I love the term and I heard it Monday. I'm not necessarily in the leadership development. I'm in the leader development, right? Like how do you help leaders develop into their fullest and and highest potential? And it starts right here at the center. That's the, that's, that's probably the last thing I'd say. Nice. All right. So, I have a set of questions called the fun five. They're meant to be. Oh, fun. let's go. Let's do it. So let's do it. So <laughs> what's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? Snap. Oh, I bet it's like 12 years old. It came with me from the last place and it's still here. Yeah. Nice. But I don't wear it unless I'm just around here. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I understand. I have some shirts that have no integrity 
(laughs) (laughs) You know, so I get it. All right. So it felt a bit like Groundhog's Day. If you think of the Bill Murray movie. Yes. What song would you have your alarm clock play every morning if it was Groundhog's Day? If it were Groundhog's Day? Oh, my gosh. So many. You know what I'm I'm listening to on repeat in my car? It's by Jay Boog. I think that's how you say his name. Let's do it again. Nice to know you. Let's do it again. Okay. I can't say all the words on here, but da 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 It's it, it's a great. It's got like it's it's definitely hip hop, but it's got like this reggae feel to it as well. Okay. And I took it with me to Key West. That's one. There's another song called Tighter by Fitz and the Tantrums. Oh yeah. And uh, have have you heard of Fitz and the Tantrums? Yeah. Okay. This song is not very famous. It's not one of their main, but it's called Tighter. It is unbelievable, and it's a very sad song. It's depressing. It just—it's a great love song. Yeah, hmm. it's great. Yeah. So cool. one of those two. All right. Awesome. And coffee or tea or neither? Neither. Straight water. Just water. Water. Hundred percent of the time. Good. Yes. You're the second person lately to say or that, tequila. so that's good. You didn't make that an option. Or tequila. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you're probably smart enough to alternate them. cool all right can you think of something that just kind of cracks you up when you think about it or makes you laugh or or a time that you laugh so hard you cried either one i just like to hear what makes people laugh i i laugh uh, and and anyone i lead will tell you this i say really funny things that i think are funny and i'm (laughs) dying laughing and everyone's standing around me like this is the dumbest thing that's ever so i think i crack myself up quite a bit but like my kids and everyone else is just like you're like that's just the dumbest thing ever so there's many things i say that crack me up but I couldn't be a stand-up comedian because I'd be the person on stage, like dying, laughing at my own jokes, and everyone's uh, standing there just watching me the whole time. And I've actually done that. I actually yeah. had a stint doing comedy one time. It was the worst experience. <laughs> That's why I know what you do is so hard. It's not easy. <laughs> well, my mom, when I said I was going to do comedy, she would, she and I because I talked about it for a while, and she would say, "Well, you can't just do that though. You can't just laugh at your own jokes." And I'm like, <laughs> I'll show you, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. do what I want on stage. It's my, it's my five minutes, so. but she was kind of right. I mean, you have to, right. Hold right. It All right. Last one. Who okay. inspires you right now? Who inspires me right now? Oh my gosh. That's, I have so many different inspirations. You know, I would say the one person over the, the last decade, I, I, he's a pastor. I work for him. He's the guy I was telling you about. I learned from him that things don't build on their own. You've got to work and work. And and you know this, right? You're trying to build this podcast. You have to put in the work. And I think I learned that from him. And, and when I think about, even as I make decisions, I think about what's the decision he might make, right? And mm-hmm. I try to make decisions based on that. So I would say that he's been very inspirational in, in, in my life. David Jeremiah is his name. He's been very inspirational for me. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, and where should people go to find you? I'll have a bunch of stuff in the show notes, but sure. Yeah. yeah. Google go. my name. Google me, Barbara. What, what's that <laughs> line from the movie? <laughs> See this just as an example, this you are what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. I think that's hilarious, but yeah. It's so, sure so illustrative. So <laughs> if, if they Google my name and 
the other day you asked me about websites. I'm actually getting to switch mine. I've got this company I'm trying to build called Cannonball, and I'm working on the website right now. So if they, but if, if someone Googles my name, JC Hurtado Prater, there's a lot of stuff that comes up, schools I teach at and stuff. They'll find me there, and there's, I'm sure there's contact information. So yeah, cool. find me there. All right. Sounds <laughs> and you can great. edit well, out anything you want to from this interview. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, JC. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. So it's you. been great talking to you too. You know, and thank you. Uh, Nicole speaks highly of you. If you get to San Diego, please let us know and let's get together. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the guest and what was talked about in the show notes. Joe Mafia created the music you're listening to. You can find him on Spotify at Joe M A F F I A. Rob Metke does all the design for which I am so grateful. You can find him online by searching Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Please leave a review if you like the show and get in touch if you have feedback or guest ideas. The pod is on all the social channels at at More Than Work Pod or at Robbie Comedy on TikTok and the website is morethanworkpod.com. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.